This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, going away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open. Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I am Don Banks. So much NFL news to cover this week. A little later in the podcast, we're going to be joined by the Titans Radio Network color analyst Dave McGinnis, the former NFL head coach with the Arizona Cardinals and longtime NFL assistant with the Titans and Rams. But now, let's talk a little with my co-host, Nick Stevens. Nick, good morning. I am the storm. I am the storm. Did anyone miss that uh, Facebook post by Mr. Brady? Tom Brady's had a hell of a week on Facebook. Brady plays the way he is Facebooked this week with the premiere of the Tom versus Time documentary yeah, teaser. Yeah, I was reading about that. The I Am the Storm Instagram that basically lit up the entirety of Patriot Nation and got the uh, Let's Go chance going around offices on a Monday. I'm ready, baby. I say pace yourself. This is the divisional round. I, I, I know. I'll give you a quick stat. This will be the 12th time the Patriots had a bye in the first round and then obviously play at home in the divisional round. They are 10-1 and one in the first 11 instances with only that 2010 loss to the big bad Rex and the Jets. I can still see Sanchez record. hitting Santonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone, wondering what world is this? Is this life? So 10-1. and one, Yep. Headed for 11-1, and one, I do believe. Likely uh, scenario. Tennessee Titans, eight fifteen Saturday night in the second divisional round game of the weekend. We have Atlanta at Philadelphia starting the slate Saturday afternoon at 435. And then, of course, on Sunday, we've got Jacksonville-Pittsburgh, the rematch at 1 o'clock, and the late game, which I believe is the game of the weekend, which I also believe is the de facto NFC title game, is Saints at Vikings with the winner, Skipping the NFC title game, going directly to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. In oh, two they weeks. just go around, collect $200, and head to uh, Minneapolis? I uh, I called the league office. There's been a ruling. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, anyway, that's your weekend. But we have a lot of coaching news um, to catch up on that's unfolded. It seems like a busy league right now. Shouldn't we be focusing on the it's fact January. that it's— January. I know, but like no, it's no. divisional the, weekend. This is the—we've said before, this is the Thanksgiving of football holiday weekends. This As a guy who used to you know, live and die with coaching news is part of my job, um, January has been you know, overshadowing the games themselves for a long, long time. It just is it, it, because coaches are so important in this league, and, and the, the annual carousel— is so um, active every year. So anyway, right before the podcast started, you informed me that there was a buzz out there. The New York Daily News is reporting that all signs point to the New York Giants, the New York football Giants hiring Matt Patricia, not the Patriots coach they were apparently uh, some were focused on, which was Mr. Belichick. Now there's like 5 to 10% of you, and this story has now been picked up by and seemingly not, not fully corroborated by, but everyone's running with it. But, again, not official. No, it's, it's not official. All signs point to is a wiggle room type of move. 100%. That's why I was going to say there's that 5 to 10% of you that's like, okay, does the Daily News or do, do New York media in general have an axe to grind with New England? Are they just trolling the Patriots to try to get in their head this weekend because they're envious and they're trying to screw with them before the playoffs? Possible. The, the Gary Myers thing last week that Bill Belichick was thinking about or wanted to possibly get out. Now you've got Matt Patricia. I just saw Get Out, by the way. Uh, excellent movie. And now you've got Matt Patricia possibly being the new head coach of the Giants. I do Giants. want to see that. I've seen it's snippets excellent. of it on, excellent. on uh, Showtime. Excellent movie. Okay. Uh, now you've got Patricia coming in. And then, of course, now you've got your online conspiracy theorists jumping up saying like, uh-oh. Is this Patricia being the placeholder, just like when Belichick was like named head coach for like a day or two before Parcells could be the coach of the Jets? Hide the napkins. Right. Hide the napkins. 
He's the new. He, is he the temporary HC of the NYG? I think it's a good choice if, if that's too. if that's where they go. Obviously, uh, a lot of people thought Steve Wilkes, the the Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator, may get that job because of his ties with Dave Gettleman, the new Giants GM. But I think Matt Patricia is a a, a fairly inspired choice, um, and it does have that you know, that veneer, that sheen of Patriots success. Now, obviously, the Belichick assistants have not been as successful as let's say. The Andy Reid coaching tree. That's actually we got John Harbaugh. We've got Ron Rivera, um, Steve Spagnolo. Not not as much. Doug uh, Peterson. Doug Peterson. So we've got a lot of um, successful branches on that tree. Not so much, uh, obviously, with the the New England coaching tree. But um, that kind of leads into the the uh, Matt Nag- Nagy hiring in Chicago, Chiefs offensive coordinator. Um, really, kind of an unknown quantity to a lot of football fans and interestingly I, I spoke with Joe Banner who was our guest last week on the Cover 2 podcast um, about Matt Nagy because their time in Philadelphia um, overlapped um, I think by five years he said and so I just kind of wanted to get a sense f- for what Matt Nagy uh, brings to Chicago clearly a lot of people put two and two together as the Bears made obvious that they were looking for somebody to develop Mitchell Trubisky, their first-round draft pick of last year, the quarterback. Um, but they're saying, you know, it, he's he's there for a lot more reasons than just Trubisky. Banner said he's a really smart guy. He's ambitious. He, he, he Hardworking. He checks all those boxes. People are going to like him. Players are going to like him. Um, very personable. But it, they, it was interesting. He said if, if they're looking for the next McVay – this is a different guy with a different resume. And I said, how so? And he said, well, McVeigh had actually been running and creating and designing and installing an offense as a coordinator for multiple years. Nagy didn't do that. I mean, Andy kind of gave him the play calling at some point this year, late in the year. He said, but Reed still had a big role in kind of the general installation and, and forming the the game plan. So, even as an OC, uh, Nagy's uh, experience is really, really light. So they're they're buying um, that he's got that leadership it factor and and he can grow into the job. But this isn't a quick turnaround, a la Rams. It's not. There's not the same level of talent in LA waiting to be brought out <laughs> as as there was for for McVeigh walking in. Yeah, we all thought the Rams were underperforming wildly. I think that's part of the reason why Jeff Fisher was not only let go, but let go two-thirds of the way through the 2016 season. Nagy, in one of those unusual fail-upward type of moves, goes from a Saturday where the Kansas City offense sputters at the worst time. And he forgot about his lead running back who led the league in rushing. Who only got 11 total touches in a game where they just needed a field goal in the second half. Granted, they missed one. Right, 48 yards. Right. Uh, But it's it's certainly not his fault. It was not a great job interview that No, if that's the last thing on your LinkedIn profile is that, oh, yeah, hey, I couldn't get my team to score a field goal in the second half and win a game we were nine-point favorites in at home in the wild card round. We were up 18 against a team that is not built to come back, a team that's built to play from ahead, and we lost at home, going to 0-6 in the playoffs. Brutal. Um, at home. Brutal pretty, for pretty Andy Reid to make that move. He and did yet, have the diner menu in his hand, so you could say, that you know, Nagy could say, like, well, listen, I was just sort of uh, a glorified OC. I was more of a uh, an offensive assistant. You can't assistant. make a menu joke with Andy Reid because but he'll what get the double-stack like? pancakes every time. <laughs> it looks like a Waffle House menu. The thing <laughs> is so darn big. So I, I, I think... You just said, like, this isn't the McVeigh thing, and that's what Banner said, but I still can't help but think at the same time, after the Bears made, in my and many other football fans' opinion, a very uninspired choice with John, with Fox, John Fox. Who actually died several years ago. I, I know. They Fox. were just kind of propping him. Propping him <laughs> it up. It was weekend at, weekend at Bernie's, the coaching edition. Yeah. They always go the other way, right? The pendulum. And then they have to just swing back like, oh, let's go with the young, sexy coordinator right. move. Like, it worked for the McDermott, it worked for McVeigh. Let's bring in this guy. He's going to be. Uh, this will be great for us. And maybe he will. Um, I, I I agree with Joe Banner. I don't think it's going to be a quick. It, it's a tougher division for one. They um, don't have a ton of talent. They don't have a. They ton have a of good. Talent. Oh, you got a quarterback prospect. You've got a good running back tandem with Howard and Cohen. 
got some special teams and a few defensive cogs. But that's not surprise everybody go 10-6 and six and be a wild-card weekend team next year. All right, and then another topic. Yesterday was the introductory press conference of John Gruden in Oakland, the old, new Raiders coach. It was a spectacle. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had his best silver suit and black striped tie on. Um, there was a lot of greatness of the Raiders in the room. Here's the deal. Um, I, okay, he gets 10 years, $100 million. That's silly because he's going to get all of that unless he – does something to get fired for cause. This is not a player contract in the NFL. This is a coach contract. So do you really think that marriage is going to go 10 years? Or do you think you're going to have to end up paying him off for the last four or five years? A ton of money. I think it's backloaded uh, to do nothing. That's my first problem with it. Second, yeah, there's you know there was a great kumbaya feel in the room, and I know they're, they're hoping to recreate Camelot. But how often does that work? Let me give you some names of coaches who have gone back to where they were successful. Um, and second act didn't really go. Joe Gibbs, Chuck Knox, people forget that. Bud Grant, people forget that. Went back to Minnesota after Les Steckel. Art Schell, uh, and then the immortal Marion Campbell coached, I believe, the uh, – Falcons twice, even though he had success neither time. That's but that's way back. It's not right a it's not a move that has really worked in this league. And I want to say, relax, Raider fans. I I'm not sure he's going to be a great fit with Derek Carr. To be quite honest with you, he bails out of Oakland, goes to a stacked Tampa team. Well, they traded him. They traded. Sorry, rather. Well, but he, the time was he, he was, was okay with it. He was fine with it. Goes to Tampa, beats his old team with his offense because he knows the offense he left behind, and then proceeds to have a borderline 500 record for the rest of his time in Tampa through 2007. But there has always remained quarterbacks, right? There has remained this mystique that John Gruden was not only one of those coaches that that wanted to be lured back in, but was this offensive mastermind that just left money on the table. And I wondered as he was making. I think uh, rumored to be somewhere in the neighborhood of several million dollars a year. How in the world anybody would want to leave the Monday night football gig, the quarterback camp where you just do some fun videos and tutorials, uh, a couple of Hooters commercials, Uh, and some Corona corona spots. I mean, to me, it looked like Gruden had the life. And let me ask you this, Don. Unless you are these animals, these relentless machines like your Coughlin's, your Belichick's, your Brady's, who just seem like there will never be enough championships. There'll never be enough success. Once you've got one, you've tasted it. You got it. I mean, John Gruden already has a Super Bowl. So what's left to, What's left for him to prove? I mean, unless he wants to literally own a county. I, I literally get the, you know, he's a coach at heart. He his, uh, He's almost an empty nester now, so his family's in a better spot for him to kind of turn his focus back. Mm. He has something to prove, I think, because of those last six years in Tampa Bay. His, okay. his, his reputation took a hit. It did. People did notice uh, two playoff bursts in six years, 0-2 in the playoffs, a lot of quarterbacks with very little success. Um and a, and a, a sub-500 team. So I do think he has that to prove. I'm just, why are the Raiders acting as if, you know, they just went back and got a young John Madden or even a Tom Flores uh, right. back in their early 50s? Because that's not the case. They hired Gruden 20 years ago when he was 34. Now he's 54. Um, again, I don't like the track record of coaches going back. I This is a talented team. So he may have success. Uh, he can also wear out players uh, with his style. And I'm going to watch very closely to see if Derek Carr and him are a fit. I'm not sure. I wonder if he also doesn't look at the AFC West. You know, there he is calling the Chiefs game as his final broadcast right. for the Monday Night Football team for ESPN Saturday. And he sees the Chiefs. He's pro- That's almost now a scouting mission for him. Like, that's a scouting trip for him. He sees the Broncos are quarterbackless. Yeah. He knows the Chargers are prone to, I don't know, just basically shooting themselves in the foot all the time and think, why can't I get in there? I got young receivers. I got young playmakers on defense. I got a young quarterback who underperformed this year. I can get in there and run that town for He's a couple years. He's got an years. offensive line that underperformed but should, Wildly. Be, should be better. Yep. Yeah, no, I get why you'd want the job. Um I'm just not sure it's a huge upgrade from Jack Del Rio, to hey, be honest with you. And Gruden's you. calling the plays. Said it yesterday right. during the press Greg conference. Greg Olson is going to be his offensive coordinator. 
Paul Gunther, later the Bengals, is going to be his defensive coordinator. Rich Biasucci is going to be a special teams guy. You know, he's going to put together a pretty good staff. Um, but, okay. If I'll, they win a little bit, there's some big sexy sell as they make their way to Las Vegas in 2020. Right, and I... I understand he wants to, you know, he wants to bring, he wants to go out in style in Oakland these last two seasons, and I do believe they'll be in Oakland two more years. Um, and and I get it, this is going to keep the fans energized to a degree, uh, but just win, baby. Just Come on, win. you can see it. We're already we're we're going in the Las Vegas Super Bowl in a couple of years. We're already we already have reservations at John Gruden's Steakhouse. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely. Yeah, nine years is a long time. I know Dick Vermeil, fourteen years, but Dick Vermeil, four years and out again, and then got back in with the Chiefs. But I don't see this as a long-term marriage. I maybe five years. I give it. I give it five years. Okay. Now, what does the Gruden salary do? Moving on from what will happen in Oakland slash Las Vegas, what does the Gruden salary do to other coaching? candidates who may switch teams may come out of retirement may make the jump from the college ranks because if yeah. he's worth 10 million how much is nick saban worth? <laughs> well you know nick saban did not have success in the nfl um i tend to think he's not ever coming back to the nfl why would you but uh can you imagine yeah what what that salary might be if somebody wanted to try to entice him so i don't know lots lots of interesting uh coaching news we still have openings what in detroit yep where matt patricia was really rumored to be the front runner uh is that mike vrabel is whispers that what you're were that mike vrabel could be in I, line i like could that be a hot candidate it would make a lot of sense big off season for the belichick coaching tree once again right you'll have openings in Colts. indianapolis still yeah there were some rumblings maybe that uh, Tennessee could potentially make a change depending on how their playoff run goes. I don't think – final eight now I think gives Malarkey another year. I, coming off a win like that, stabilizing the team, being down 21-3, yeah. engineering that I kind of comeback. I don't think you can do that. Your locker room is behind the guy at the and, moment. Right. I saw the – I watched the videos of the locker room behind there. Uh, and you're going to fire him for losing on the road to the Patriots ah, in the division round? That. I mean, well, unless I'm, it's – Well, they did, but they were – the I know the team everyone had them pegged I for 11-5, sexier But this offense. is the way the narrative changed at the end. They won. They had that three-game losing streak, and then they won the, the basically the play-in game mm -hmm. in Week 17, and then they win in a remarkable comeback on the road in in the first round. I just don't. I think at that point, when you've come out and said he's our guy going forward, even though you left it a little vague and squishy, losing. At New England, a divisional round is expected now. It's not a firing offense. Yeah, that could keep Malarkey around for a while longer. I, do you think there's any any one other opening that may pop up? Yeah, I, I don't think so at this point. I mean, I know we have that surprise every year, but to me, Tennessee was kind of that on deck. I guess they haven't nailed it completely down in Houston with Bill mm -hmm. O'Brien. They're still trying to figure out they're trying to hire a GM, Rick Smith taking the leave of absence for his wife's health um, situation this year. So I guess there's still a little bit of wiggle room there that Bill O'Brien may not. Uh, I see them holding on to him for I, one more year. I do, year. too. I don't think they want to lose their coach and the GM in the same offseason. I watched video of Deshaun Watson already throwing. Looks like he could step onto the field with a restitched ACL and probably give any of these playoff teams a run for his money. They'll be a different team if they can get a full season out of him next year. Don't forget, he's come out and said, I want Coach O'Brien to stick around. And yeah, that's, that helps. I'm sorry, but that's going to carry a little weight with Bob McNair, the it Texans sure is. owner. Well, the other story, obviously, that consumed all the oxygen in uh, the NFL was the ESPN story that broke Friday morning. Oh, I hadn't read it. What's you know, <laughs> sorry, I didn't have time to read it. It week. was called Fire and Fury in Foxborough. I think we both <laughs> used that line on Twitter independently, I might add. That's excellent. I, I, had, a, I had the idea. Uh, the first thing I tweeted when I read it Friday morning was, okay, big picture is what struck me is, you know what? If there's some fault lines and some tension showing and some clash of egos or my way, your way, after 17 years with the epic success they've had, the most remarkable thing is what took so long, right? right. I mean, that is that is kind of the most remarkable thing, that this is the first time we've heard any kind of big-picture schism, to use one of those wonderful words that we reporters throw out. Um, and my second thought, which I tweeted out, independent of your tweet, which I hadn't read, was 
you know, I kept reading Fire and Fury in Foxborough, and I, I was kept trying to get to the Steve Bannon quotes, and they just never, the explosive Steve Bannon quotes, they just never came. Does that make Ernie Adams the Steve Bannon of Foxborough? <laughs> I, I've not touched I don't want, I don't want to try, I don't want to try to associate players in who's who between the, the non-parallel storylines. Look, breakups, uh, transitions, and successions are never easy. They're and always tension They're, they're always going to be tension-filled. And by the way, uh, anyone across the international listening audience of Cover 2 that's been in a long-term relationship, and the people sitting in this room have managed multiple long-term relationships. I'm now mired, if, uh, excuse me, happily <laughs> in, in a 16, 17-year one. It, th- you're not going anywhere. You're not doing nothing without a little drama and dysfunction. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's, it's just the way it is. And, and sometimes we all meet our Garoppolo, but we just don't get a chance to carry on with them. It's best to stick with the one you danced with, the one you took, and the one you love. Yeah, I mean, look, in big picture, what I've been saying is I, I believe there was some fundamental truth to the story. Um, I also believe it's really hard to quantify, you know, how how much truth there is and how much – pressure points have developed and are they affecting um the principles the three principles in the patriots organization to the point where a divorce is possible i'd be surprised if that happened i'm i'm putting my money on belichick is coaching this team brady is quarterbacking this team and Kraft is owning this team next year at this at this exact moment and we're we're getting ready for a divisional playoff game next year as well that said look it's a 40-year-old quarterback, a 65-year-old head coach, and a 76-year-old owner. Of course we're close to the end. It's chronology. It's life. This it's, is what happens. It is the way um, these things go. So, in general, that's my take. I know Seth Wickersham. I respect him. He's a very good reporter. Um, he, he, he doesn't throw stuff out there uh, and hope it sticks. Um, I believe he had people telling him some things. I don't believe all of those are turning out to be completely accurate. And I think big picture, he, he got around the edges of what has been a uh, perhaps a somewhat different year in New England. The circumstances here are unique to a degree that I don't know if we will see another team encounter not only the run of success, but have people considered the best at what they do, all aging or reaching the height maybe of their powers and... I don't know. We won't say be on the back nine or fourteenth hole or whatever it may be. They were. I legitimately believe they were ready to have a succession plan in place, and then Tom Brady outperformed. He out, right. he outkicked the expected coverage. He outperformed not only contracts but the life expectancy of a quarterback to be in the prime of the position. And Tom Brady basically built where we're sitting right now, along with the coach Belichick. So how do you move on from one without the other? And you know what, gee whiz. So they draft a kid, they groom him, he's ready to be a star. They don't want to sell him out and send him someplace where they don't think he's going to succeed. Cleveland. I believe Belichick did him good. Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You can say it. Cleveland. Where they had the, the fan march on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I believe, yeah. And he to send him to San Francisco, respects Coach Shanahan and his son, who's running the squad out there. Jimmy G does great. And you know what, I guess they'll just have to ride this out with the potential MVP candidate and greatest quarterback of all time. It just struck me. What Brady has done, has he's become George Blanda. However, he can still play quarterback and isn't just kicking into his 40s. Right. Like, like you're, you're not old enough. But I, my first era of cover, or, or watching pro football was that George Blanda 70 through 72 era where he was always saving games for the Raiders. But he was a kicker and occasionally – Occasionally a backup quarterback uh, for Daryl LaMonica. So anyway, um, let's get back on the field. We do have, um, you know, again, I, I think last week and this week are my two favorite weeks because you get four playoff games, and we have some good games. We mm-hmm. have two rematches. Again, we have the, uh, I think, the glamour game of the weekend in Minneapolis, uh, Saints-Vikings. Um, I heard you say that that's the de facto NFC championship. Yeah, I believe it is. Beg to differ, agree to disagree, sir. I believe it is. Agree to disagree. I think the winner of that team is in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, I just think they – look, can the Eagles win this week? Absolutely. At home against the Falcons. I don't know where I'm going to come down on that game eventually, but I don't think the Eagles can win two games with Nick Foles. 
And the Falcons are a little dangerous, but asking a team to win three road games in a row in the playoffs is very, very tough. It's happened. It has happened. And it happened a few in times while. in recent years. Not in a while. No. 2011? Well, let's, let's recap. The last four seasons, number one seeds are 7-1 and one. And and all made the play, uh, all made the Super Bowl except for the Dallas Cowboys of last year. That's the only number one seed yeah. that hasn't ended up in the Super Bowl. So actually, in recent years, the trend has been form holds, form holds, form holds. So could the Falcons run three in a row off on the road? Yes, they could. Um, but I really think the Viking Saints have too much. Uh, firepower, and I think one of those two teams is going to be in Minneapolis. I'm calling Falcons as NFC representative right now because I, I, I really think they can have their, I, don't, I wouldn't say have their way with the Eagles. That Eagles defense is going to be whatever resembles the, the saving grace for them Saturday should they pull out the win. But the Falcons going to Minnesota and pulling off the upset in the NFC championship to me seems more likely than Minnesota coming to Philadelphia. I can't see Minnesota with with Case Keenum and Latavius Murray winning in Philadelphia. If Philadelphia has their way defensively with Atlanta Saturday, then I think that they could win the NFC Championship a week from Sunday. And then we'd be talking about Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. I think maybe it's more likely that New Orleans represents the conference if they win. Now, well, how, how could you see the final, uh, the ultimate NFC South showdown with New Orleans hosting Atlanta, perhaps. Now, no one's calling that, but could you see that? I don't even know you anymore. Wow. I don't even know you. Wow. We're going to get back on the field in the AFC okay. and talk a little Patriots-Titans. We want to welcome to the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens, Dave McGinnis, longtime NFL coach and a uh, now a member of the media. I knew you'd make it, Mac. Uh, Dave McGinnis is uh, now the color analyst for the Titans radio, flagship radio network. Good morning, Mac. Good to talk to you again. Hey, How are you? How are you? Yeah, you know, you know, I'd make it. Now I've got to the pinnacle, right? I knew you'd be in our uh, in our world eventually. You were uh, you always liked reporters, so that made you uh, susceptible to our charms. And well, uh, you know what? I, I, I let me let me. Well, I like really good reporters like like you, Don. <laughs> you know, anybody that's professional. And knows what the hell they're doing. I always liked them a lot in this business. You you said that just like I told you to say it, Dave. I appreciate that. There you go. Perfect. Let's talk some Titans. Obviously, this week's game, uh, Tennessee, um, a lot of people believe is the eighth best team left in the Elite Eight. But all that matters is you're there. Um, you've, in essence, uh, won two playoff games in a row because you had to win in Week 17 against Jacksonville to get into the dance. And then... Uh, that memorable 18-point deficit overturned uh, at halftime in Kansas City last week, I think a, uh, an outcome that shocked a lot of us. Um, tell me what you saw in the second half out of that team that you think is going to be valuable in Gillette Stadium Saturday night. You know, Don, uh, and you mentioned the last two ball games. Let me take you back a little bit to that Jacksonville game first before we talk about the second half of Kansas City last weekend. That Jacksonville game was a was a playoff game because of the position, you know, that the Titans had put themselves in. You know, you know, dropping a couple of games, you know, in the in the NFC West before they got to it. And and that ball game, I think the Jacksonville ball game. I mean, it was a it was a really cold ball game here, uh, and 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 the you know the fans came out in in pretty good numbers, knowing that this football team's back was against the wall. And that ball game, I mean, you could just feel the resolve in the team. And most importantly, you could see the resolve in the quarterback, in Marcus Mariota. You know, and, and he's, had a, he's had a season where, you know, he hasn't been completely healthy at times and then, you know, has, has played well and then has, 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 has played less than well. But that you could see him come on so strong in that ball game, and it, it, it uplifted the entire team. And then... The second half of that Chiefs game, again, you could see the same thing. I mean, the, the, the fact that this football team, what has impressed me about them all year, you know, having in here in this analyst job that my, I'm in and being able to be close to them, is they've got a real resolve and a real grit to this football team, and there is no panic in this team. This is a very experienced coaching staff. They've got some, you know, experienced players on this football team. 
but it, it, it's a football team that really, really believes in themselves. But they're they're a tough physical football team. But the most important thing to me is they're a mentally tough team, Don. And you could really see it in that second half, which was you know an eighteen point deficit, you know, in Arrowhead in a playoff game should be done. Uh, that should be done. Yeah, it looks a bit. Yeah, exactly, Don. It looks a little bit insurmountable, but you never sense a panic in 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 the actions of that football team. They made some really good adjustments, both offensively and defensively. You know, in the in the, in the second half, and they just kept persevering, and uh, it was a huge, huge win. But the main thing that I saw, you know, other than the technical aspects of the some of the adjustments they made, was the real resolve and grit that they had coming out and and a belief in a plan and really sticking with it, Don. Dave, I don't think you can overstate uh, how Marcus took the Titans team on his back in, in the second half. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the touchdown pass to himself, but the, the key block on Derrick Henry. But I want to talk about Derrick Henry for a minute because obviously uh, with DeMarco Murray out, a lot of people have been clamoring to see more of Derrick Henry. And I really thought it kind of went back to the exotic smash mouth offense that Mike Malarkey has been talking about for a couple years. Derrick Henry against the Chiefs, really, he was the closer. He put that game away. 191 yards from scrimmage, 25 touches, uh, big runs on that final possession, 10 yards, 22 yards. Um, it looked like the blueprint for, I, I guess, what we expected that Malarkey had been talking about to see Derrick Henry put the hammer down in that game. you got to keep it close in New England for Derrick Henry to be pivotal in the second half Saturday night. But I wonder if you thought the same thing I saw, which was that's the way it was kind of supposed to work in Tennessee. Yeah, well, there's no doubt. And, and the success that they've had this year, you know, when they've had – some really good ball games this year. Early in the season when they played Seattle, when Seattle was at full strength and, and still looked like the Seattle that, that we all know when they, when they had beaten Jacksonville in Jacksonville the first time they played them, that was, that was the formula that worked and that they, they rode and that they used. And again, I'm going to refer back again to the Jacksonville game for a little bit on Derrick Henry. He did not have a good ball game in that game. And then the, the next week, you know, during the week, Leading up to the Kansas City game, he, he you know, in what his press conference, you know, uh, conferences that he had in the locker room, he said, I didn't like my game. I ran soft. I felt like I was soft. I didn't feel like I was running like I should have been running. And he called himself soft. And so, I mean, it was a, it was, you know, he called himself out, you know, for his performance at Jacksonville. And you could see that he was um, on a mission in that ball game up there in Kansas City. And, and, I mean, he's a big, big, talented back in it. And, and, and I, I'm impressed by his work ethic and the way he works. But he had a resolve to him also. And you're very, very correct in your, your assessment of that, Don, is the fact that, you know, once he got it and once they started rolling, you could, you could, sense, you could sense what his purpose was in that ball game. And you know as well as I do. I mean, I've been coaching in this league for a long time. And I do know this, that when your running game gets going, it gets everybody on your football team, not only your offense, it gives everybody on your football team, you know, a sense of purpose that, that you're doing something and you're physically imposing your will, you know, on, a, on an opponent. And you could sense that up there in Kansas City, especially in that second half, Don. Dave, this is Don's co-host, Nick Stevens. Um, I, Hi, Nick. How are you, sir? It's great to talk to you. Uh, now, Derrick Henry is honestly about the size of some of the Patriots' linebackers and defensive ends, and I was a huge fan of his in Alabama, and I think it's about time they finally got him rolling. And I think that is beyond pivotal for the Titans, especially Saturday night, because the Patriots are prone to give up some big runs. I also think that the Titans may be a bit of a dangerous team now in that they're playing with house money. The expectations are basically now on the floor and the ceiling is limitless. And, you know, they're they're living freely. I thought Terry Robisky's call to have Marcus Mariota throw a touchdown pass to himself is the kind of uh, brilliant, brilliant gambler's mentality you have to yeah, take. Nick, Nick, you know what? In watching practice, they worked on that a lot. <laughs> it kind of like that's not, was, easy, not easy to work on. And that's the way you have to play, not only in the playoffs. You can't spell playoffs without payoff. And you, that's the way you're going to have to win in Foxborough. But I'd like to ask you a question from the coaching perspective, a little twofold. 
A, um, Dick LeBeau obviously does not have, I mean, Hall of Fame coach, but the first thing you may read in the Hall of Fame may not necessarily be his record against Tom Brady. Do you think we can expect to see the Titans try a few things that we may not have seen defensively from them Saturday night against Brady here in Foxborough? And also, uh, can you tell us, take us a little bit behind the scenes with Mike Malarkey and his situation because... uh, we, we see he might be the long-term solution, but we also hear some rumblings behind the scenes. You know what, Dick? You know, of course, with Dick LeBeau, I mean, I, you know, when I came here this year and they asked me to come here and do this, you know, I, I've been coaching this league, you know, for 31 years. And most defensive rooms that I walk into, you know, in, in most uh, facilities in the National Football League, I'm kind of the senior member in that room. But when I walk into Dick LeBeau's room, I feel like a freshman, you know, because of, <laughs> wow. of the – just the experience and and the and the gravitas that he has, and plus, I mean, what a a wonderful human being, and that's why players throughout his career have played so so hard for him because you know not only is he technically and and just you know as as good as it gets, but but as being able to relate to these players and being able to get across his point and his he and you talk about somebody that's got no panic in him at all and that is a a master at, at adjustment. And, and you asked me about a game plan. I'm not involved in their game plans, but I do know this. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, defensively that haven't had success against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady because they are clearly at the pinnacle of what this league is, you know, as evidenced by those five trophies that they've got in that building. So, But I will, I will promise you this, that Dick LeBeau and his staff will do everything that they can to give this football team defensively the best chance to, to win, you know, up there in Foxborough because this, as you said, and you said it very, very well, Nick. I mean, this football team, you know, has has fought all year to get to this point, and 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 the the win in Kansas City, being one of the final eight to play, you know, there, I you're going to get the best out of this football team here from Tennessee. Now, whether that's good enough or not, we'll all see, but we'll find out in the three hours and ten minutes. You know they're on they're on Saturday night. You know as far as Coach Malarkey here, I mean I think he's got the uh, the uh, unwavering support of uh, you know of everybody here you know in this organization. And I and I just know that that when I when I agreed to come back here, I mean I've been in enough buildings you know uh, in this business in 31 years uh, that I know good from bad. What's going on here is good. Dave, you know, I want to expound on one point. You've been a head coach in this league. You were the Arizona Cardinals head coach from 2000 to 2003. So you know what it's like to try to take a team that hadn't won, kind of change the culture. You also know what it's like when when the wins aren't there enough. You start hearing uh, the job security issues. When this team started hearing that with a three-game losing streak from 8-4 and four to 8-7 and seven with Coach Malarkey, how did it respond, and do you think the, the the last two wins, do you think the pressure is off to a degree with um, uh, Amy Adams-Strunk coming out and saying he's our coach moving forward? How do you think that affected the locker room? Because I know there's a great deal of um, affection and respect for Coach Malarkey in Tennessee. I've been there and uh, visited in training camp, and I know they like him. What do, right. you th- what do you think the effect was when they took the question mark away? Oh, I think, I mean, uh, and I think, you're 100% right, Don, that, that this, this locker room, you know, since I showed up here for training camp uh, this summer, this locker room is, a, is, is, is completely behind Coach Malarkey and his staff because, I mean, you know, what they've done, you know, and again, you know, the eight years that I worked here, you know, in Tennessee, I mean, we, we had good teams, you know, and, 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 and everything was rolling. And, and they, you know, they hit some tough times, you know, in the years previous to this. And I think once Mike Malarkey took over as the as the full time head coach here, you know you could you could sense you could sense a change in the building. You could sense a an uplifting atmosphere in the building. And ever since I've been here, I can tell you, you know, you know, very honestly and 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 without reserve, that it has been a hundred percent support for him in that locker room. I promise you. Dave McGinnis, our guest on the Cover Two podcast. Uh, Titan now the Titans color analyst on the Titans radio network um, for the 2017 season. Dave, what what's ahead? Do you want to get back into coaching? Are you are you done with um, with that part of your career, or do you want to stay in the media? You know what I, I've really done, uh, Nick. I've really enjoyed doing this. I really have, and, and and it's been it's been pretty gratifying. You know that you know the response that I've gotten. 
of course, being with Mike Keith, you know, who's a who's a consummate professional here, and this this whole uh, organization and and the whole setup has been. I mean, as I said, the eight years I was here, I really enjoyed Nashville. I enjoyed this organization. I enjoyed the city. But doing these broadcasts and and being a part of the team, seeing seeing the National Football League from this aspect of it, I really like it. I mean, I enjoy it. Now, again, as I you know, I was you know, I, I'm a big big Jeff Fisher big Jeff Fisher advocate and. You know, if he were to get a chance to get back in, then I would I would more than be happy to jump back in in with him. But I'm I, I'm really liking doing what I'm doing here. So if they like what I'm doing here, well, I might just do this again. Dave McGinnis, thanks so much this morning for being our guest on the Cover Two podcast. We will see you uh, in Gillette Stadium Saturday night. Bundle up, guys. It's great. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on, and uh, see you there in Foxborough, guys. All the best, Mac. Dave. Thank talk you. to you soon. Thanks, guys. Coach McGinnis, Don, friendlier than advertised. Good man. And I appreciate him taking us both on the sidelines, in the locker room, and actually in the booth as well, giving us some energy and fresh perspective on how the Titans could possibly keep up with the Patriots Saturday and why they are more than just buoyed by the upset win, why they think they have a chance Saturday night. I, listening to him makes me think it could be a little bit more of a game than I thought beforehand. Well, there is the tomato can factor. Uh, tip of the hat to mm-hmm. Dan Shaughnessy. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll say this. You know, you're right. They should be playing with house money at this point. They have won a playoff game for the first time since '03. that organization. Um, seemingly, Mike Malarkey's job security has been um, nailed down, at least for the foreseeable future. So this is a team that should take a what-do-we-have-to-lose approach to coming into the lion's den. Now he tells us that Mariota was hurt more than we even may have thought during the season. You I mean, we knew it. he was injured. You could see it. At 13 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. But if he can make the plays that he needs to make and keep the Patriots' defense off balance. A couple special plays with his legs, I think. Derrick Henry, who is a freight train and really got rolling at the right time. And then maybe if they can, you know, press the pocket a little bit in terms of, you know, pushing the Patriots' line around. I'm not saying that we're going to see a repeat of the divisional round last year when Houston where Clowney him. and Merciless gave Brady fits yeah. and they relied on Deion Lewis, who's now a top five running back in the NFL, heading into the playoffs. Deion Lewis basically saved the Patriots bacon in the second half. Yeah. I think the Patriots are going to be able to throw on the Titans. You were you saw what Travis Kelsey was doing to that secondary before he got hurt end of the first half. And Travis Kelsey is somewhere somewhere in the lower Gronkosphere. And if Gronk has his way, uh, I think that I think the Pats will get rolling Saturday. Yeah, no, look, I I I think they could struggle for a while. I don't know if it's going to be a first half like last year against Houston, like you you mentioned. But I do think I think Tennessee should be playing kind of carefree because no one, and it's obvious, no one is going to pick them to come in here uh, and and win this game. And I think that does liberate a team to to a degree um, but there's there's only so much i can buy that you know that things fall right but let's be honest if jeff triplett doesn't stop that I was forward going to ask you forward but... progress <laughs> sack last week you know they get their first three points on that that three points mattered greatly in a 22 21 win in the long run so jeff triplett and crew and jeff we hardly knew ye. No, actually, we, we saw He's way too much of forced into retirement right after the game. Like, Ugh. and this referee, Mr. Triplett, is now retired. After and he I, had, I, had a playoff game for five years. As it turns out, one day too late for the Chiefs. Yeah. How did you feel about the call, too, when Derek Johnson grabbed the two-point conversion and returned it? Did they say that they had whistled that dead? Yeah, I, I believe so. They thought that was... Um, they should have let that extend. I mean, re- really, the Chiefs should have walked away. Well, shame on them for not getting points like we said in the second half but i kind of think they should have won 23 22 you know the chiefs they were not the same after uh kelsey went out right and boy you could see that hit immediately you knew he was his bell was rung he tried to get up he was you know sideways and they just weren't the same offense but shame shame on andy reed and 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 Matt Nag- Nagy, the play caller for not being able to adjust they have other weapons they were not able to adjust their game plan, their play calling once uh, Kelsey wasn't their primary weapon in the passing game. They put Alex Smith right back into game management yep. mode. It's like they went into this predictable safety mode. Yep. And 
excruciating. Uh, listen, at that point now, you know the Patriots won't operate that way Saturday, and I think we won't see the Titans if they want to play for more January football. We shouldn't play that way either. House money style Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, look, um, <laughs> the Titans have lost six games in a row to New England from 03 on. They've been outscored 221 to 97. That's an average margin of 37-16. That's roughly what I would think the margins. I think the margin is going to be 16, maybe 18 in this game. But, you know. Right look, around the spread. So are you telling me something, Don? I'm, I'm not I me. See that. I, I'm see not, that. I don't mean to. I see to. you winking. I don't mean to. I, don't, I, I have no touch for And as I mentioned gambling. earlier when we were talking to Dave, too, the idea of Brady having a lot of success against Dick LeBeau defenses, 6-2. and two. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions, 68% completion percentage. So he knows what he's doing there. I wonder if Dick LeBeau trots out a familiar defense, or maybe like Wade Phillips did a few times to try to stymie Brady, kind of goes with something different because, once again, what do we have to lose? Right, exactly. All right, here is a stat that I, maybe I'm telling you something. I, I did the math. Again, I said New England is 10-1 and one in this round coming off a playoff bye um, in, the, in the Belichick era. Those 10 victories have been by a margin of 13.2 points. Wow. What's the spread? 13 points. 13 and, I think it's 13 and a half right now. Boy, well, does Vegas go. know what they're doing? Yeah. So there you go. So that's uh that's the Pats at home in the divisional round coming off a first round by 10 and 1 and wins by 13.2 points on average. Now the appetizer game as we've talked a little bit about Eagles hosting the Falcons, there right. is not actually a single confident Eagles fan on planet Earth. No, the that's... Falcons, after their impressive 26-13 win in Los Angeles, are a road favorite. And I'm that's never that. happened for, uh, for a number crazy? one seed. Cra- the number one seed opened up as a dog at home. <laughs> Outdoors. And if you're Nick Foles, how does that make you feel? Uh, I don't not know. wanted. No. Not, not, not appreciated. Yearning for the days of being disrespected and overlooked by Jeff Fisher. I actually think he's going to play better than he did the last two weeks. That's an incredibly low bar, the last two games, I should say. Um, the win at home against Oakland where they scored 10, and then the shutout loss to Dallas mm-hmm. when, when they yanked him before he could do anything uh, further to destroy his, his fragile confidence. But I, I, I think he'll play better, but I really believe the Philly defense is going to have to win this game. Yes, this game's on Fletcher Cox. This game is on Brandon Graham. I agree. You need that defense to win this game and shut the Falcons down the same way the Falcons secondary was able to basically stymie the Rams. They couldn't get going Saturday. They couldn't get Gurley going I, against them Saturday. I think I'm going against you. I think I'm picking Philly in this game because because everything points to Philly being a one and done, and I'm going to pick Philly at home. I feel like we've seen this before. Now, it's funny. The forecast calls for... An early high, kind of very New England weather. And then, 55. And, and then, then it, multiple suicides off the <laughs> Delaware Bridge. <laughs> Too soon. Uh, and then you don't Saturday know Eagles drop- fans. I live there. They, oh, no. They're the, jumpers. Of course. They are jumpers. Oh, that, city, that city is powered by, <laughs> by shave steak and misery. I get it. Uh, it's going to start showers in the morning, but then get sunny and then get cooler. So it doesn't look like conditions will be that Oh, I, I heard rain was in the forecast. Yeah. Showers early. Okay, showers early. All right. But it's a 4.30 game. Yeah. Now, don't overlook the Atlanta secondary. Kevin, They've on, been Kevin on his game today. He's though. right on top of it. Uh, you know, they got Desmond Trufant back. Uh, Dion, uh, the linebacker who played a lot of coverage Saturday, Dion. Um, uh, it's not Dion. Dion Jones? Yeah. He played great. I think, uh, the, I think the Atlanta defense will emerge the surprise star of that game. Okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit um, about the last game of the weekend. No, let's talk a little bit about Pittsburgh-Jacksonville. We've talked oh about yeah. Saints-Vikings. We, we have. Pittsburgh-Jacksonville is interesting because obviously Jacksonville goes in week five this year and dismantles mm-hmm. uh, Ben Roethlisberger's confidence. Five, five picks, two pick sixes. Fournette has a big game. He summons the big hit. When he runs off tackle, thirty to nine was the final. Thirty to nine, Fournette with the big, uh, I think, like eighty-yard touchdown run late in the game to put it away. Um, it was mostly a defensive showing. Here's the thing: I think it's going to take that kind of defensive showing, which is not easy to duplicate, to get out of Pittsburgh again with the win. I I can't see Bortles. They're not going to trust him for one. It, it was pretty apparent they. It didn't. took a toe tap in the back of the end zone on fourth and goal. For him to get a tie, I don't think he threw for 100 yards. No, against he, Buffalo. 
He ran for 88 and threw for 87. So uh, Wow. And and they were lucky to get the 87 out of him because he was so wild in that Jacksonville gusty wind. Mm-hmm. But he was the only one, I noticed, who was that wild. So I think it's going to be up to Jacksonville's defense. Now, look, if they if they get back into Ben's head and he can't throw the ball without Jalen Ramsey tormenting him, maybe it's a it's a much better game, but I I think Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh is going to come out of this um with a fairly comfortable margin. Uh, another stat I looked up, they are pretty much money in the divisional round at home uh with a one or two seed. They're 4-0 in that situation. Jacksonville gave him fits before in the playoffs. Yeah. Years ago. Jack, ten years ago. Did it, yeah, exactly. Ironically, Jack Del Rio's it's the 10-year anniversary of that before they team. made their way into the divisional round and lost to the Patriots yeah. on Saturday night. Beat Mike Tomlin in his rookie year, mm-hmm. his first ever playoff game, 31-29. Right. So. Uh, I see Pittsburgh trying to play a short to intermediate game here. I think throwing downfield against those safeties and against Bouye and Ramsey, depending on the health of Antonio Brown, if he can play, I can see them trying to use him in the backs and the tight ends short and over the middle. Because if they try to wait long, Pittsburgh's offensive line is good, but that defensive line yeah, with Marcel Darius and Calais Campbell, who was just reborn coming out of Arizona in Jacksonville this year, if they get in the backfield and start banging around Big Ben, I don't think you want to see Landry Jones in this game because then we could be looking at Jacksonville thir- Jacksonville 12, right. Pittsburgh 9. Yeah. Oh. And please, as it was last Sunday's game, I'm uh, going to support groups to get over watching Please that don't game. give us another Buffalo Jackson. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm not one of these people who equates offense with exciting games and good football and defense is boring. I'm not because I like good defense. To me, that was bad offense oh, more than anything. Brutal. And, and Nathan Peterman just putting the, the <laughs> topping on his too perfect. Sunday. Uh, the sun, literally his Sunday and this, the Sunday of terrible that he uh, – put together this year was it four touches and he orchestrated like a fumble he, he uh, a sack he, a penalty and a pick he finished the season with more picks than tyron taylor and that was in like two wisp like he threw six picks in like a wisp a half and a wisp of a game and then taylor threw five all season so yeah, it was it was only fitting. It had to be Nathan Peterman It'd be after that San Diego debacle. Bills fans were jumping through flaming tables in Jacksonville and tearing up the uh, America's biggest city by square footage uh, before the game and all weekend long, and then afterwards, smashing TVs, crying like you know, wailing uh, like banshees, act, burning remember, themselves. Remember the old Tom Landry act like you've been there before. Oh.